Scuba Obsessed, the weekly podcast. We talk about all things scuba diving from cool new gear, places to dive, and scuba news. Scuba Obsessed episode 313 is recorded live December 29th, 2016. Welcome back to Scuba Obsessed. I'm Darren Jolson coming to you from the southwest side of the great state of Michigan where we're just a few days away from the new year. Joining me this week, we have Mac, the dive mentor. How are you doing today, Mac? I'm doing very well, thank you. I'm just watching it snow outside my back window. Yeah, we had a little bit of a reprieve there, but it looks like it's ready to seriously start to be winter. Uh, also joining us this week, we have Jim Schultz. How are you doing today, Jim? I am as fine as a fly in an outhouse. That sounds like uh, if you're a fly, that might be a good thing. Also joining us this week, we have Kevin Ailes. How are you doing today, Kevin? Darren, I am doing excellent. And how, and how are you doing tonight? I am doing great. Another day and uh, almost survived another year, both of which is very good. I'd like to thank everybody who's been joining us or trying to join us in the chat room. Uh, we are in the process of migrating to a new service, so if you get in the talk shoe, and uh, just uh, shout out, and somebody will bring you in, and we'll bring you into Skype. That's going to be our bridge for a while, but uh, hopefully in the next couple of weeks, we'll be able to migrate to a better chat solution. We have migrated the website, and we're in the process of migrating over the audio files, which is what feeds everything, including iTunes and everything else. And have to thank our Dive Nitrox supporters, which we neglected to mention last week. We have Vanessa Homiak and Scott Halbert who are donating at that Dive Nitrox level, and we certainly appreciate them, and we appreciate all our supporters. If you haven't donated yet, why not? Uh, if you think it's at least worth a dollar, we could use a dollar. Our target is if, if we had everybody who's listening could donate a dollar, we would be doing quite well. Not where we'd be getting rich, but at least we could cover all the expenses. Uh, we Really? You think 10 bucks would do it? Did 10 bucks. <laughs> well, considering that probably four of those are... Uh, those ten are, are on the air right now, uh, but you know, really the the three dollars kind of that target where uh, that helps enable us to do things, and even more is appreciated, like what Scott and Vanessa have been uh, donating. So let's go ahead and jump right on into the news. First article we have up is a diving club faces uncertain future after a twenty thousand pound damage caused by a fire it's kind of an odd phrasing uh fire crews are called the king's kids grove sports center in the early hours of christmas eve bins at the rear of the center deliberately set ablaze and the fire spread to a container belonging to newcastle subaquatics club that contained training equipment the club currently has nine trainees who meet up weekly to center on a training program that's been put in jeopardy by the fire uh maggie or michael Twiggy, chairman of Newcastle's Subaquatics Club, was deeply saddened by the news. The 46-year-old company director from Church Lawton said, All the contents of our container have been damaged. Nothing is salvageable. To replace it, it will cost up to 20,000 pounds. So it looks like they were they're using a container in the back, and that's where the fire spread. Yeah, it looks like someone went to 
and burn something next to it as a prank, they say, and yeah. it spread. Yeah, it looks I like, like the listing. Uh, they at least tell you what they lost. 18 dive cylinders, 17 buoyancy compensators, 17 sets of regulators. I mean, I just think, ching, 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 ching. Oh, yeah. 20,000 pounds won't come close to that, not replacing it. Well, that's about 23,000 euros. Yeah. Which is, right now, I think their exchange rate is dollar and a nickel per euro, so that's over $23,000. pound per dollar. Oh, that's right, because they're not euros, they're pounds in UK. Yeah, last week it was one twenty-three. To the pound. Dollar, yeah, dollar twenty-three for one pound. Right, okay. which is twenty-three thousand three hundred and six euros, which is approximately twenty-three thousand dollars. A little more than that. Yeah, well, it doesn't sound like he was really doing a you know, a real assessment on the uh, the value of the equipment there. He just kind of threw a number out there for what it's not what the article reads. That's a lot of gear, though. Yeah. Well, hopefully well, they're able to get that there. put back together. It looks like this dive club does a lot of training for, for other divers. So, like, were these like sort of certifying new divers, or were they, you know, just giving them additional skills? It sounds like the nine uh, that were trainees were not truly members yet. Yeah, in in the UK with the British Sub Aquatics Club, uh, they they typically provide their own training. That's part of the the dive club organization. Okay, so it's not like they have like a patty or now we sit over there somewhere, and it's just that you get into the local dive club and they take you from there. Yeah, I mean, Mac, do you know specifically if they, you know, do they charge for it? Is it how they do it? Uh, I really don't. I know that the subaquatics is the British, basically, it's BSAC, British Subaquatic Club. Uh, They've been out there recognized since 1954, and they're the national governing body of recreational diving in the United Kingdom. Uh, The BSAC is usually for diver training, and it's the agency for for training there in in basically Europe. Yeah, so you you see that, and a lot of those clubs also will have their own boats, or at least I've seen a few of them who had their own boats. So a little it's bit. It's interesting. Oh yeah, well, like for them, they have what you call a ocean diver, which is basic skills, non decompression diving limit twenty meters. Then they have the sport diver. And that's rescue, navigation, nitrox, decompression diving, and you're limited to 20 meters until after qualification, then you're good to 35. The third reference or category is dive leader, and that's dive leading, dive plan training, management, rescue management. And then the depth associated with that can be 50 meters. Advanced diver is a fully trained diver capable of leading a group of divers in normal club activities, which I would assume is similar to our um, uh, dive master yeah, on your boat. Sense. Yeah. Then your first class diver is trained to lead a group of dives carrying out a project, and that's a nationally examined, um, nationally examination type with a two day practical test for that first class diver. And this it's amazing they have eight instructor grades, and then if you're looking at grades no longer awarded. Uh, they used to have what they call a novice one and a novice two. And a novice one is a diver who's completed the extensive sheltered water, which is meaning pool training of the syllabus, but has not dived in open water. A novice two is a diver who's completed two open water assessment dives. Okay. It's quite interesting. Yeah, I, I, I've always liked their program and just the, 
accessibility that it seems to have. I don't know what percent of penetration they have, uh, you know, how comparable it is to what we've got in the U.S., but uh, I'd be surprised if it wasn't a little bit better than what we've got. Well, I think they're more regimented because they have one agency, basically, and we have lots. Yeah, yeah, but our, our agency's uh, international. Yeah, yeah, they're they're international, then they, they all recognize each other. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, thank you, Eric, for the uh, link series given us about uh, defining BASC, BASAC a little bit. Eric posted a number of links in the chat room about BASAC, well, BSAC, how it operates. I think a big difference between them and what we are normally used to is they also have what they call skill development courses, and one is called seamanship. That's for boat handling, chart work, position fixing, diving, coke, swan, assessment, outboard engine, and boat maintenance. I don't think any of our diving groups ever have anything like that. No, they pretty much stick to just the the diving. Uh, Now, would commercial divers have something along those lines? It's totally different than that. But they are regimented as much as we are. And then we've got an article where fury over vandalism. Uh, local residents have called on authorities to get stricter with dive operators after Korean letters were found inscribed on coral skeletons off the Similan Islands in Pang Ja province. The vandalism lesser brain coral was found at a depth of 20 meters in the west of the islands. Three large Korean characters are found inscribed in the coral reading Park Yong Su, which appears to be a person's name. An instructor from the dive company Science Scuba took the photos of vandalism coral on Saturday. The islands are part of the National Marine Park in the southern coastal province. The latest discovery of vandalisms is called caused a great deal of concern among local residents and divers who are worried that if the action is not taken... To stop such acts, there could be copycats, particularly by irresponsible divers. Residents called on authorities in the island national park to get stricter with dive operators so customers are prevented from causing further damage to natural beauty. A local diver who asked not to be identified said the South Korean divers normally were well-disciplined when compared to divers from other Asian countries. That area they're talking about is in Thailand, by the way. Oh, okay. Uh, yeah, and then that's just... Go ahead. So, so if we've got the guy's name, and we know he's South Korean, has anyone tried to contact this fella? Say, hey, buddy, come take care of your mess down here. This is not cool. Maybe his name is like Smith is in America. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm, Could I'm be, gonna... but I don't know. I mean, he's pretty gutsy to write his name down there in a popular diving attraction. I mean, um, you know, I'm sure whatever charter took him out there knows, knows who did it. I mean, so somebody has to know who this guy is. Well, I did a, a Google search, and a, if uh, it's a w- at least one person with this name is a Taekwondo practitioner who's fought professionally. So, uh, but like Max said, I, it could be a very common name. It, it could be, but it, it might not be. You know, uh, you know. I mean, how many Park Yoon Su were out there diving out there? I mean, it's this uh, place that you can get out there by yourself, or to part charter taking you out there. I mean. Uh, I mean, this guy could be located. If he took a charter, one would believe you're right, Kevin, that you could track that guy down. I mean, yeah. a growth over it. You got you. You'd had a you know a couple of weeks period. He'd probably be able to tell who it really was if he took a charter. Uh-huh. Yeah. 
Yeah, you would think that they would have to have some sort of uh, make them sign a disclaimer, a waiver. Mm-hmm. I mean, any kind of a reputable charter is going to know who they took out there. They're going to have some kind of a, a law. So, and you know, of course, you know, maybe I'm just trying to get somebody else in trouble. Maybe it was me diving on some coral and I engraved Max name into it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, go ahead and do that. <laughs> now, there's there's an idea. Yeah. <laughs> Except I don't know the Korean characters for Mac, so. Well, I mean, we can do it here locally, you know. I mean, uh, um, out to the Ironsides. Darren was here. (laughs) Oh, wow. That's not not encouraging anyone. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, just just do it like scraping off the muscles, you know. Like bring a (laughs) scraper out with it, you know, and just scrape off Darren, its name, (laughs) and the the muscle on the side there, you know. Yeah, there we go. You you mean I should stop putting Mud Club on there <laughs> yeah. when I do that? Well, I do that out to Lake Sixteen. I mean, um, you know, I always write Mud Club in the uh, in the dirt on the windshields of the cars down there, or the, or the boats down there. So I used to put a little sign like with the Kilroy yeah. symbol, Mud Club. Yeah, yeah. Well, when it comes to the wildlife, especially coral, I I they don't like being messed with. So this was deliberate, yeah. but even just touching can damage it. Because if you look at that coral, it, it looks like it had been damaged before. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and all those things, are, they're, they're pretty fragile. They don't like being handled. And then we have an article that is warning people that you need to have teeth in good condition to become a scuba diver. Uh, it's a scientific paper uh, written by somebody at the University of Buffalo, in a summary, it says 41% of scuba divers experience dental symptoms in the water. Research shows recreational divers should consider consulting their dentist before diving if they recently received dental care. A new pilot study found that 41% of divers experience symptoms in the water. Uh, they said uh, due to constant jaw clenching and fluctuations in the atmospheric pressure in the water, divers may experience symptoms that range from tooth, jaw, and gum pain to loosened crowns and broken dental fillings. Recreational divers should consider consulting with their dentists before diving if they recently received dental care, says uh, Venisha Rama, BDS lead author and student at the UB School of Dental Medicine. Divers are required to meet strict standards of medical fitness before certification, but there are no dental health prerequisites, said Rana, who is also a certified stress and rescue scuba diver, considering the air supply regulators held in the mouth, any disorder in the oral cavity can potentially increase a diver's risk of injury. A dentist can look and see if the diver is affecting the patient's oral health. A study prevalence of dental problems in recreational scuba divers was published last month in the British Dental Journal. Research was inspired by Rana's first experience with scuba diving in 2013, although she enjoyed being in the water, she couldn't help but notice a squeezing sensation in her teeth, a condition known as berodontalgia, I guess. Uh, or something close to that. Something to that. Uh, published research on dental symptoms experienced while scuba diving is scarce of, or focused largely on military divers, uh, says Rana, who... So she crafted her own study. She created an online survey that was submitted to 100 certified recreational divers. Those who were under 18 years old, ill, or taking decongestant medication were excluded. Her goal is to identify the dental symptoms that divers experience and detect trends in how and when they occur. Of the 41 participants who reported dental symptoms, 42% experienced uh, that 
crazy word I tried to pronounce. 24% described pain from holding their air regulator mouth too tightly and 22 reported jaw pain. Another 5% noted their crowns were loosening during a dive and one person reported a broken dental filling. The potential for damage is high during scuba diving, uh, says Rana, who's completed 60 dives. The dry air and awkward position of the jaw while clenching down the regulator is an interesting mi- mix and unhealthy tooth. Underwater be much more obvious than the surface. 100 feet underwater is the last place you want to have a fractured tooth. The study also found that pain was most commonly reported in the molars and that dive instructors require the highest level of certification, experience dental symptoms more frequently. This frequency is likely attributed to more time spent at shallower depths while pressure's fluctuations are the greatest. The Professional Association Diving Instructors has issued more than 24 million certifications around the world. The scuba diving game's popularity is recreational sport. She hopes to see oral health incorporated in the overall health assessment for certification. My wow. question is, of the four of us here, have you had problems like that that you would really attribute to oral hygiene or any of that other than the jaw? Because if you don't have a good bite, meaning if you don't have a form-fitting regulator mouthpiece, you can get that from clenching it. But I don't consider that a dental issue. I, I think I, I think as a dentist, they consider that a dental issue, but I agree with you because that's something that it's it's how you're biting on the the regulator. For people who aren't divers, which I think most of our listeners are, uh, the most common type of, of uh, regulator mouthpiece I've seen, uh, you're really only biting down on it with uh, the front of your teeth. Uh, and I have a, I tend to clench. You know, I grind my teeth at night. So uh, as I'm concentrating, I would put force on, and I do feel that in my jaws. But I have not had uh, the issue with pressure or anything else, you know, dental discomfort, nothing where I feel like a, a filling or gums or anything have had a problem. Um, how about you guys? No, I chewed through a couple of mouthpieces before I finally went to one that fits like a mouth guard and you s- put it in boiling water and then clench down on it and it molds itself to your teeth. Once I went to one of those, I've had no problems whatsoever, no jaw fatigue, um, made my time underwater so much more enjoyable. Uh, the other I reason mean, I, I, oh, I'm sorry, go ahead, Kevin. I may even try what Jim is recommending there. Cause I, I, I get a little uh, tinnitus from, um, you know, I get some ringing in my ears afterwards, which I was kind of wondering, does related to diving and did a little bit of reading up online that sounds like uh, you know, from gripping your uh, mouthpiece too firmly, you can um, bring out some, some uh, tinnitus, which is that ringing in the ears. Oh. The other reason I disagreed with the 41% is because if you look up both aerial and barotrauma for the teeth or tooth squeeze, it references it's only a symptom of a dental disease. And the jaw tension and that is not a disease. And that's, that's why I'm just petty and picky, but yeah. ain't going to happen. 41%? Well, I, don't. I, I think that they've the way they're grouping the numbers are making it appear worse than it is. Because if you've got a medical condition uh, and it's dental-related that's going to be affected, then it, it does make sense. I know my dad is was in the Navy, and he was uh, a scuba diver, not for the Navy, but he did do submarines. And during his basic training, they, they, along with basic is they redid all their fillings because they didn't want any air pockets, uh, in the teeth that 
would cause problems while you were going down and coming up. So the Navy did recognize that uh, dental health was important for submariners. Um, yeah, I, I, I've never heard of anyone having their crowns loosened up. So that was like a 5% with, with their uh, test group there. Um, I've been doing an Invisalign, which is the way you, you have a, a plastic retainer wraps around your teeth, and I did find that the, uh, the cold water would make that contract and actually kind of painful, so I quit wearing them when I was diving. Mm-hmm. But, you know, it wasn't a huge issue. Well, their, stu- their sample size is 100 divers. So I statistically, it doesn't seem like that would be enough to draw a lot of conclusions. So when you say 41%, you would be saying 41 out of those 100 that you did. Uh, you know, how were they selected would be would be a question. Mm-hmm. Well, I'd also kind of question, you know, the... the uh, person compiling the data that this RANA, um, the potential for damages high during scuba diving, this is RANA, who has completed 60 dives. I mean, forgive me, but I think in 60 dives, you really just don't have uh, enough experience down there to really be making a lot of, uh, you know, assumptions or, you know, 60 dives is not a lot of, not a lot of dives to uh, put yourself in a position to be making decisions about, uh, you know, other people's diving. Well, what I think is going on is she was uh, somebody who's going to be, either she is a dentist or going to be a dentist. She's going through her education, and one of the requirements is I imagine this was a, uh, something that she had to do. She had to complete this paper, uh, and so she's just relaying the findings and uh, not necessarily sure if if even, you know, does, does the person doing the study have to even be a diver? I don't know. I think it's interesting, though, that with 60 dives, she's a certified stress and rescue scuba diver and swims near underwater wreckage in Sri Lanka. Oh, she's in Sri Lanka? I thought this was uh, a University of Buffalo. Well, she went to the University of Buffalo, but uh-huh. I just looked at her lead. I said, lead author and certified stress and rescue scuba diver, swims near underwater wreckage in Sri Lanka. Had a picture of her on a wreck. Okay, okay. Yeah, yeah. Six sixty would that almost be bare minimum, uh, but you know here you can take you know saying that's similar to Patty Rescue Diver. I mean you can you can go take open water advanced open water and do Rescue Diver and not ever have a a dive on your own. Uh, so that'd probably be twenty or or thirty dives. Bottom line for me is I recommend just like Jim and and Kevin get a good bite. And get the molding ones. It does make a big difference on jaw fatigue. Yeah, I I agree. I I like those uh, larger mouthpieces. Or if you've got a hose line that's either too big or too small, it drags your your you know you put it oh. in, and you can't mm-hmm. turn. That'll give you jaw fatigue like you wouldn't believe. You know, I have had, and I don't feel it in my jaw. I, f- I feel it in my neck. If for some reason I've got uh, my hose routed wrong, and it's starting to pull. Uh, that's that's something fairly easy to fix. Uh, I guess my, it, I would not have people worry about uh, tooth pain with diving. I mean, it, it seems like that's something that's going to turn people away from diving. I definitely think, uh, irrespective of whether you're a diver or not, you should keep your your teeth in healthy condition because uh, you can have serious consequences if you're not. Uh, you can have heart disease uh, and heart attacks, uh, blood poisoning. All side effects of uh, poor dental care, so you want to keep that 
up. But I think if you're having proper uh, dental care and, you know, when you have rot, you have it, your, your teeth drilled and filled properly, then you should be okay. But then that kind of goes into anything. If you have any sort of pain while diving, it's appropriate to call the dive. So uh, if you're the one in a thousand who have uh, may, maybe had a, a feeling with air packed into it against a nerve, uh, you know, don't don't struggle through it. You know, I'd call the dive and have that checked out. But if you're if you're a dive instructor, is that gonna should that be a question on the questionnaire? Uh, how how would a instructor check for this? I'm not sure. Just just a side note, real quick. Your audio on my side broke up all the heck for the last minute and a half. Anybody else, or is that just me? Sounded good to me. Broke it up. I had no issues with it. I'm hearing a little broken up, but not like terrible. Ah, the fun of Skype. Then we have an article with National Geographic, uh, and I've I've seen this uh, related articles floating around for a while, but this one uh, seemed to be well enough put together that I wanted to cover it. Uh, Pearl Harbor shipwreck reveals World War II treasures. Archaeologists take a deeper look inside the USS Arizona and discover well-preserved pieces of history. Uh, Earlier this week, Japanese Prime Minister uh, Shinzo Abe joined President Obama to World War II valor in the Pacific National Monument, the latest steps in decades-long shift uh, towards forgiveness. At the same time, 40 feet beneath the waves, the USS Arizona is giving up some of its 75-year-old secrets. Uh, sunk on December 7, 1941 by Japanese warplanes, the 608-foot battleship is one of the most studied shipwrecks in the world. In the 1980s, as initially mapped, in the early 2000s, its condition lifespan were analyzed, yet exploration ship's interior has long been limited, in large part by available technology. Uh, last week, a team of divers photographers completed 10 days of work in the waters in Pearl Harbor, a team including National Parks Service archaeologists and National Geographic photographers used remotely operated vehicles called the 11th Hour to document portions of the Arizona for the first time. Custom built by Marine Imaging Technologies in the Wood Hole Oceanographic Institute, the ROV took video, gathered scientific data, measured levels of dissolved oxygen, salinity, pH, and more, and connected, uh, collected oil sediments and microbiological se- samples all of which will be analyzed at Harvard's University Lab over the next several months. Wow, that photo there is, is pretty impressive with a diver over the uh, 60-foot-long guns. Yeah, I'm not sure if it's National Geographic, but um, I, I watched a documentary on this recently. Um, they actually had two different ROVs they were using. They had a lot of technical difficulties getting the ROVs inside. Um, apparently there's some regulations that... Uh, Divers are forbidden to penetrate the Arizona, and so if the ROV got hung up and couldn't get out, it was going to be going to become part of the ship. Um, but yeah, there is a documentary. I don't think it's on Netflix. It might have been I don't know Hulu, but you know you can find you know a documentary about this, which will give you a lot more details. Um, but yeah, the ship um, you get to the lower levels, and it is very well preserved uh, to the point where the deeper they got. Uh, I know, like, on the, on the lowest level, on one of the lower levels, they found even a hanging intact shirt on a hanger. Still, wow. Still suspended there. Yeah, it, it was that intact. Um, your, upper, your upper decks, 
you know, subject to a lot more, you know, current and oxygen, you know, were very in, in very bad shape. You know, the uh, Arizona, they, you know, they did uh, salvage, you know, a lot of towers and turrets on it there. And so you do have quite a bit of water flow going into it there. But uh, you get deeper and, you know, they had, you know, intact bedding and mattresses and furniture and, you know, you're thinking like this is a saltwater environment because we always assume that saltwater just destroys everything. But yeah, yeah, even even so far as intact uniforms on hangers on the lower decks, um, which I can think of the name of the documentary, but I'm sure with a little bit of, bit of Google searching, an interested listener could find it. But it was only about a 45-minute documentary. It was not very long, but uh, really, really cool. I've seen a few of them over the years because uh, they, they do do surveys like I, I picture this one being uh, – check out the condition of the wreck and do some analysis. It seems like it, it tends to be an, an annual event. Uh, well, this was talking about the ROV 11th hour in the in the documentary I watched. So oh, really? It, already? It, 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 yeah. It, it's wow. the same group. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, well, well, maybe the 11th hour has been in there several times. I don't know. But, uh, you know, I know there's a documentary which I watched at a friend's house. Um, you know, might have been on Hulu. I'm not quite sure exactly where she got it at. But it was... Uh, you know, something she streamed, and it was uh, you know, all about this. And it seemed to even have this the shot that we have, you know, showing here with the uh, looking through a porthole at perhaps a desk or a cabinet behind there. Um, but really, really cool documentary about this. And yeah, it, it's very intact. Once you get deep inside it, it's quite intact. Wow. Now we are in the age of electronics, so somebody could think of something, produce it, and edit it pretty quickly. So maybe it's just. Uh timing and maybe that's why this article's come out uh now is to help promote that well the articles come out but when did the you know the article came out just uh you know on the 27th here quite recently but when was the actual die for the actual you know when did this actually happen yeah so yeah they, well, in the article they show a, a ceremony that happened on december 7th uh the 75th anniversary of the attack uh um, it might have been through a previous dive then. I, I, I know that they were talking about the ROV 11th hour, though, during that documentary. Cool. And uh, in a year in review, uh, I'm not sure who Gordon Kent is, but Gordon Kent is exposing the world of naked scuba diving. And, yes, there are photos. The organizers from Cotton Trail Corner bared all about the attraction of floating underwater in the Altogether, the opportunity came up with a thousand one synonyms for nude was too much fun to resist. There was a challenge of taking pictures that demonstrated what was happening while remaining tasteful. Photographer Salton Butts <laughs> really <laughs> did a terrific job of finding interesting shot that could still run in a family newspaper. Uh, instructor Ken Holiday, co-owner of Northwest Scuba, put everything in perspective when he outlined the dangers faced by people, particularly men, sleep, uh, swimming naked in open water. His understated comment that in the ocean big fish, big fish eat things that dangle had me wincing and laughing at the same time. Cue the cello music from Jaws. Unfortunately, I wasn't able to attend last winter's class at Skana's Pool, but I'm sure it was quite revealing. I sent you a link, Uh huh. different article on the same topic. That's more revealing. Okay, because the the one that we saw looks a little little bit like a sausage fest uh, to me. 
Oh yeah, this this one's this one's a little bit better. Families and children are encouraged to take part, although because someone on Facebook posts fears youngsters might be molested, parents need to show ID to show that they brought their own own children. <laughs> ah, naturalist is is in harmony with nature and it's a lot more respected for ourselves and others. The people are extremely friendly. After a while, you just don't realize you're naked. The granddaddy of the uh, No Suit Edmonton Pool organizes naturalist swim group, which have been holding swims for more than 30 years. They gather indoors every two weeks from October to April and are set to re- relocate to Hardesty after recently using the Eastern Leisure Center, swim manager Ray Jortsma says. 30 to 35 people attend on a typical night. For a while last year, the city stopped allowing minors, but it reversed that policy before Christmas. He has never had a complaint about people swimming naked in a municipal pool. The city spokesman confirmed that because the facilities are rented privately and aren't open to the public during the events, there haven't been any issues. Uh, Holiday agrees that renting the whole site prevents someone from dropping in unawares and becoming upset. While the event he's teaching is aimed at the enclosed, he likes more layers. I'm still going to be in a wetsuit because I know it gets bloody cold in the pool. We just try and be professional. If they don't want to get naked, if they want to get naked, they can get naked. Now, I thought it was interesting that they compare people who don't do that, meaning they, they call them, uh, what was that word, the textile parents. Did you read that part? No. Let me see if I Which can. Which means find. parents whose kids wear swimsuits. They call them textile parents. <laughs> that's, uh. that's wild. Oh, uh, she doesn't think those fears are justified, saying their members are just as careful with their kids as textile parents. <laughs> Wow. I guess when you have a passion for nakedness that you, uh, everybody else is an outsider. I just know that I would watch my parts and pieces, especially in the big waters of the ocean. Yes. I don't know. Even in Lake Michigan, other than it being chilly, I don't, I don't think I would want to have a lure dangling, uh, for critters. This would be the one time. Go ahead. I was going to say, considering how aggressive those guys are when we uh, dig around and route out those uh, crayfish. Oh yes, <laughs> there that would that would hurt. Yeah, if you if you want to see how fish how quick a fish can move, uh, stir up a a crawfish and see them go attack it. Uh, yeah, and they've got a shell. About, we're just talking about bass. You're doing that. I mean, yes. bass don't really have any teeth. You know, you're talking about like you know pike. And musky and all that? <laughs> Not happening, guys. Not happening. Nope. Thank you, no. Well, I mean, wouldn't you have to, like, modify your equipment if it was uh, for us out here? I mean, would you have to have additional seals? Maybe it's, I like, a partial dry suit? I think your equipment might get modified for you. <laughs> I mean, at the minimum, I think a jock strap would come in handy. Oh. Lead-plated, perhaps. Yeah, I'm I'm thinking like what the the the, the uh, royalty wore in the medieval times. You know, a codpiece is, is is more my style. You know, I think we're going to start have have like a you know a, a PG or a rated R rating on these uh, episodes here. When we, when the... yeah. Well, if we were video, perhaps we would. You know, yeah. I mean, verbal is a little different than visual. Yeah, yeah. Well, I've always got. Uh, it's been a few years since we posted that that one. Uh, uh, image that needed eye bleach for, so uh, maybe maybe I'll have to dig that one up. 
Well, let's see. I think that does it for scuba in the news. How about some potentially cool scuba gear? And this is a, a real stretch. It's about all I could find this week. And this is a backpack that they're claiming uh, is not only waterproof, it's fully submersible. Uh, and they're aiming it at uh, stand-up kayakers and paddlers and hikers who spend a lot of time in wet environments. Uh, but they're even saying that you could use it underwater. Uh, for scuba diving, I don't think it's going to really work out too well uh, because I, where would it go? I mean, that's right where your tanks would be for most of us. It's made from lightweight yet durable waterproof fabrics designed to safely carry a variety of items on aquatic adventure, offers 6.2 liters of storage capacity, uh, completely kept safe from water thanks to unique design. Not only stops water from reaching the interior, but also sets it apart from its competition. Most uh, dry bags use a roll-top enclosure to keep moisture out. Uh, this design seals off access to the main compartment by carefully rolling up several layers of fabric at the top of the bag and closing it off with a locking clasp. This keeps water from reaching the, uh, the tight barrier, but the XO 6.2 uses a different approach to achieve the level of protection for moisture. Instead of a roll-up method, it employs a screw cap that seals down when locked into place. So really, it's a thermos. Expected to sell for about 150 bucks. Early supporters on Kickstarter can get one for 110 Go ahead, Mac. If it had, if it had 6.2 liters of storage, 6.2 liters is how much volume, meaning how much buoyancy would they have if that was expanded out for mm-hmm. 6.2? Uh, yeah, I'll say along those lines too. You know, that's gonna unless you want to add a lot of weight to that. That's something you really want to take down. With one. Maybe, maybe you, you can vacuum pack it or something. Yeah, I'm thinking it's it's cloth that uh, you could compress it down a little bit. But uh, they've so far have 22,000. Dollars pledged out of the thirty-two thousand goal, and they have eight days to go. So I don't know. I, I think if you were somebody who needed it, I just you know, backs prime real estate. Uh, so do you really? Is that enough? So I went to their site. They've got a couple of better pictures of people wearing it who may be going in a kayak or a stand-up. It gives you a little better perspective than the one that we had. Yeah. Well, if you follow them to their Kickstarter, you can see one where they've got somebody who I'd say is at least 10, 10 feet underwater swimming with one on. So really, if the, I guess the way to think of it, it's like a, a dry bag with a, a screw-top enclosure on it. So. Well, it does have a use. Yeah. Now, that might be handy if you're uh, – you know, they show one where it's a guy on – was it one of those parachute-driven – like a wave board. Now that would make sense. Because you, know, you could put your cell phone in there. You could put your, you know, identification, beer money. Yeah, so when they found your body, at least they knew who you were. Yeah. <laughs> we're talking about those real quick. Did you see the photos I had of some gentlemen out there surfing a week and a half ago? And they came back in. They looked like basically ice men. Where was this? Uh, it was in the Herald Palladium. Somebody uh, they was... were out there surfing. Oh, yeah, they were surfing. Uh, wow. They came back in, and they were just coated with ice. Their heads looked like those guys from uh, oh, one of those pirate movies, oh. the octopus guy. His face looked like that of icicles. And it's wow. like that guy had got to have been cold. Now, were they wearing a, like a dry suit or exposure suit? They were doing an exposure suit. Okay. But still, his face had to have been frozen. Yeah. It was cool looking. Yeah. Well, that does it for Scuba in the News. 
So you talk about exposure. Uh, did anybody happen to get any diving in this week? With all the festivities, I was relatively dry. Oh, Bob Sweeney and I got one in this weekend. Went pretty well. We um, met up at Gull Lake and um, yeah, about a 30 minute dive out there. Uh, water was kind of chilly, probably 38, 36 maybe. It was, it was down there. Um, visibility was not all that. I don't know. Um, we kind of hemmed and hawed and ended up settling Bisbee in like five to eight feet out there. We met up at Prairieville, um, ended up being, getting separated. We had a little bit of miscommunication. We finally found the line. He didn't go in one way, I went the other way. <laughs> but, uh, you know, all, it was a good dive. You know, uh, neither one of us had any uh, equipment issues. You know, we both stayed dry. Um, you know, I guess he had a minor issue with um, he wasn't able to use his heating packs. Uh, I wasn't using heating packs, so we ended up getting cold at the same time, and that's kind of what ended the dive. We both were getting pretty chilly in our fingers at 30 minutes. Like I say, the water was like right around 38, something thereabouts. Um, it, was, it was a good dive, good time. So I understand that even though you were diving and having a good time, you just could not get away from work. <laughs> you saw the pictures, huh? <laughs> yeah, one of one of the objects out there I came across just happened to be a mailbox. You know, really, um, I could I could do without seeing that out there. You know, I, I can see them all day long if I want to see them. You know. So. Did you check inside to see if there's any mail? No, because then I would have had to find a home for it, so I intentionally did not look inside it. <laughs> now, where was this at? Was this uh, uh, Gull Lake? Yeah, this is the uh, northern end of Gull Lake at the boat launch there at the uh, Prairieville Access. Um, it's actually a, you know, a pretty nice place to dive. Uh, you know, we're chatting with some of the locals up there, and it sounds like with the way the wind often comes out of the south, you get enough of a chop there that uh, very rarely does it ice up there. You know, a lot of times the rest of life, life has ice and there'll be no ice there. If it is, it's just chunks. So um, it's actually a, it's a pretty nice place to dive. I know that, uh, you know, the different dive shops have dives up there pretty regularly. Um, you know, it's, um, you know, you, you often run into other divers up there. It's a very popular spot. Nice. Now, I understand that we have a dive scheduled for this weekend. Yes, we do. Uh, it'll be in Hidden Valley. That's where we plan on doing our New Year's night dive. Uh, we'll be meeting over at Larry's, Sir Larry's, um, between 7 and 7.30. Feed our faces like we normally do. Swap a couple of tall tales, maybe. Uh, if we have any video or pictures people want to share, that'll be a good opportunity. Then, depending on what the current weather will be that night, it could be anywhere between 10 and 10.30. We'll probably caravan over to... Uh, the Hidden Valley, we will let uh, Ken and or Larry take the toy box first because they have to jockey it around a little bit, and then the rest of us can follow. If it's really lousy, we may double up on driving and put stuff in the toy box so we minimize how many vehicles have to travel down. It appears we're not going to have any ice because that last warming spell, uh, there may be some plate ice, thin stuff, uh, but we'll take lines and what have you in that event so we can all be stationed on a line or hooked to a line that if we need it, we can tow ourselves back in. So we'll have to play that little part by, by ear a little bit. It'll be have a you typical, been out there? I'm sorry? I'm sorry, Mac. I was going to say, have you been out there to check it this week? Uh, no. Uh, Larry did go out uh, with some in-laws. 
they were in a pickup truck and they went down the route and they cut overhanging branches to help minimize any interference with the toy box. Oh, that's good. Uh, so Larry will go out Saturday morning or sometime Saturday and validate what the road conditions look like, which will help determine is everybody going to put their stuff in the toy box before or if we'll just go down like we normally do. Yeah. Okay, because I've been wondering about the ice. I've been watching it around here, and it's been a 50-50 deal. Yeah, it's not a bad idea to bring your, your chainsaw. I know Larry and them will have one. It's always better to have two. So if we have two, we can still cut through the thinner ice to make a bigger area for us to get into without having to uh, break ice ourselves. Okay. And if it's thin. So hopefully we'll have a good time and a good dive. And, well, uh, I'm sure we'll have a good time. Yes. Hopefully we'll have a good dive. <laughs> now, is any are there any dives on the 1st? Anything scheduled? Yeah, Bob is going to go to uh, the quarry. They're having a dive that afternoon. When you, you say Gilboa, is that what you mean? I believe it is Gilboa. That's yes. where he's going. Yeah, he's okay. going to Gilboa. Okay. And I, I take it they're not doing ice dives there yet either. I have not heard anything yeah. about them. Yeah, I don't think that Gilboa usually ices up enough to do ice dives down there. Well, we shall see. It's only a couple of days from now. It is getting close. So in honor of the year coming to a, to an end, I'd like to just uh, do some quick and formal polls. I didn't warn anybody, so nobody's prepared. But of this last year, what was your favorite dive that you got to do? Uh, how about you, Mac? God, my favorite dive. I don't know. Uh, I've just enjoyed diving the river, especially in Niles. Uh, it's been really good to us this year. We've had some excellent diving, uh, and I did not go up north. If I had gone up north, I would have probably said my wreck diving up north was the best. But Jim will have to tell us about that, him and Kevin. But uh, me, I still like the river. I've had a good time at it. Uh, how about you, Jim? Got to be the Eber Ward. It's the first time I've been on that wreck, and I've got to say I, I, I rate it right up there with a Barney. And I've been in love with a Barney for 10 years or more. But the ward is its not as deep, and there's a lot more to explore. Excellent. How about you, Kevin? Well, uh, Jim is right. The Eber Ward is a phenomenal dive. I really did enjoy that, Jim. I made two dives on that up here last summer. Uh, but to me, I'm a sucker for a schooner and the uh, Thomas Hume. Um, the only bad thing about the Thomas Hume is that after the Hume, um, not much else compares. I mean, uh, <laughs> it in on that, well, it spoiled me. I totally spoiled me. I mean, seeing so much structure on that ship intact, which I've never even seen, didn't even, you know, seeing the, you know, the, the last, all the lattice stuff at the, at the bow and, you know, all the rigging there on the bowsprit and the, you know, the mast. They, they were laying down, but they were there, and um, you know, be able to, to drop down inside the hold and see the walls with the cabin still there and things. I mean, um, the Hume that was my best dive of the year. And then I would say I I really didn't get a ton of dives in this year. I got just enough to keep the gear from falling apart. But uh, probably my most fun dive this year, the one I enjoyed the most, was our ecology dive that we ended up doing in Niles, uh, just right. for. You know, the amount of participation, uh, the conditions were pretty good, and I just love having something to do when I'm diving. So that was a 
that was probably my favorite. So uh, another question, kind of as the year turns, is what is your goal with diving for next year? So how about you, Mac? Mac, you muted. Mac, Mac you there? We lose you. We, we may have, or uh, well, uh, while we wait for Mac to see what's going on, how, how about you, Jim? Uh, plans for next year. Well, I want to get out to the Thomas Hume. Uh, it's a wreck I've wanted to do, and Kevin has convinced me since he got on it that uh, I've got to get out there and see it this year. Uh, I want to get back up to the Straits and maybe spend more than one week up at the Straits this year. So uh, that week is a fantastic week of diving, but I need to get in more. And I've got the ROV. Hopefully I'll have the ROV up and running, so... That may change some things. We may do a lot of ROV work um, on some deeper wrecks and then go in and bounce them afterwards if there's things we want to focus on. How about you, Kevin? Oh, which goal? <laughs> I don't know. I've got a few of them there. I just so, picked um, one. Well, easy one. Well, I wouldn't say easy, but um, I want to cross the 500 dive threshold. I'm at 353 right now, and I want to cross 500 next year. Um, Jim and I are talking about uh, getting, getting some, some tech training next year. Um, I don't know. Got I'm, I'm with Jim about you know I want to get back up to the human. Uh, you know, there's just you know this year was a marvelous year for diving. You know, we just had so many good dives, and you know it just makes you thirst for more. Mac, were we able to, were we able to get you to back online, Mac? He may be fighting with his uh, microphone. At my his audio may have cut out on him. Uh, for, Aaron, you got any plans for next year? Well, for me, I just need to upgrade my equipment so I can do a, a dive like the, the Thomas Hume. I, that one sounds fantastic. I'd like to get uh, any sort of uh, intact-looking shipwreck. Most of them have been, uh, for me, have been rubble wrecks. Yeah, the Ironsides is probably, you know, that one and maybe the, uh, what's that one up north? I want to say St. James, but that, that, that can't be it. Is that it? St. Andrew? St. Andrew, that's it. Uh, those have probably been some of the best condition wrecks I've seen, and I, I know I need to make that step to uh, technical or close to technical. Uh, so get some more dives in, uh, get get on the Thomas Hume, and then also uh, just be set up to where if I don't start doing technical dives this next year, at least I've got the gear that will allow me to do them. And then Mac is, is having a problem with his mic. Uh so some of the new gear we bought, and we're still working through the details on that. So uh, I may have to do some research well, and help them out. Let's, uh, let's pose the question to our dedicated chat room guy there. Um, Eric, you got any big plans for dives next year? Looking to see if he responds. He did post a cool video about diving Prairieville. He had, a, he had a lot better dive than I did at Prairieville, I can tell you that. He wants to do some of the wrecks out of South Haven. So I think he's talking about the uh, Pavana, probably, um, well, what is it, um, Anna number five? Yep. We got the barge and crane. Mm-hmm. We got Rockaway. Yeah, that, that barge is actually a pretty cool dive. You know, I did a number of dives in that last, last summer, and um, it's kind of underrated. You know, I had some pretty good visibility up there. There's quite a few burbots that hang around and keep the dive entertaining up there. Yeah, I've, and, I've always, pretty- well, and I've had the same thing on Ann Arbor 5. I think my worst visibility on Ann Arbor number five has probably been 20, 25 feet. Uh, and I have to say, 
that the barge and crane is at least that, if not better, each time I've been on it. Yeah, I I did probably you know eight dives on the uh, on Walton's barge out there, and it seemed that my best visibility was actually on, on the last dive out there. I finally had good enough vis to you know be able to picture the entire the entire wreck. It was uh, you know it's a very very worthwhile wreck. Yeah, it's kind, it's kind of deep. It's one it's one twenty five to the bottom there, so it's uh, definitely at the edge of sport depth. One thing's really cool about it, though, is that it you know it does have a penetration opportunity um, in sport depth. We didn't think we had any wrecks around here for uh, recreational divers to penetrate. Uh, it's kind of a glorified swim through, but it is penetration. Uh, uh, which which one's qualified? this? The uh, uh, the barge. Oh, okay. Yeah, um, there's a machinery room um, which has all the uh, you know the engine and all the gears and everything for operating the crane and. Uh, you could just about put a Prius through it, but it's uh, you know it's a large enough area you can quite comfortably swim through it. Okay. Well, a couple things I would like to see this next year, and and maybe it's a little optimistic, but I would like to see a wreck identified that we could sink in the preserve. That would be nice. Um, you know, maybe discover another shipwreck. Just a matter of getting out there and. Spending time on the water. Did I lose you guys? No. No. I'm clear. Okay, good. Uh, yeah, I, I agree with you, Darren. Spending time on the water would be the point to being able to find one. Mm-hmm. And um, if we could have one donated to us, hopefully we'd still be able to find a way to get one sunk. Well, there, there's definitely more out there. You know, um, you know, Bob and I were talking about that. That you know, there's been so many different wrecks that different charters in this area used to take people out to, but no one, you know, had a handheld GPS that could, you know, get them back to it. Um, you know, there's definitely a tugboat, you know, in like uh, 60 feet of water out of uh, Michigan City, which no one knows where it's anymore. There's uh, you know, a number of other ones, just North Michigan City, you've got, um, well, what is it, uh, the uh, Wheeler, the Eureka, uh, you know, wrecks that were built many, many years ago. But, you know, I looked for a little bit, and either my numbers were totally off or they're, they're buried in the sand now. But there's definitely more out there to dive. So just got to find them or refine them. Okay. Well, let's see. Uh, uh, Kevin, do you have a, a wreck of the week you want to talk about? Yes, I do. Um, post a link in the chat room. We're going to talk about the uh, state of Michigan. Which actually, uh, diving it, we talked so much about the Ironsides on this program. The uh, state of Michigan is a very similar dive in about half the depth. It's quite a bit further north of here. Um, is it out of Pentwater? Oh, what is this out of exactly here? Um State of Michigan, like I said, 65 feet of water, and looks to be out of, um, oh, excuse me here, yeah. It's, actually, you can reach it out of either Muskegon. It, 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 it's a way south of Pentwater, but you can reach out of Muskegon as well, or, or Whitehall. Whitehall is important for that one, yes, excuse me there, okay. Um, anyway, it's, uh, I've built it myself. It's a pretty cool dive. You get down there and... Um, the hull's all there, but it is laid open, similar to what you see on the Ironsides. 
the uh, engine stands upright. It's a, it's a different style of engine than what you see on the on the iron sides. It is uh, you know the uh, the steeple style of steam engine. Um, it's pretty cool. You get down on the bottom, you look up, and you can see this great big engine above you, which actually they have one very similar to it in the Henry Ford Museum. The, the Henry Ford over in Detroit, they uh, were scrapping out a uh, wooden-hulled steamboat freighter, and they saved the engine off of it. And, you know, of course, the one that's in the museum there has all been restored and pretty, and the brass is all polished, and probably looks better than it did when it came off the line. But it's just really cool to be able to, you know, to see one of these things, what they look like, and be able to identify all the knobs and the gauges and the bells and the whistles on them there. But um, anyway, the state of Michigan um, basically was tooling along, and the engine gave up on her. She uh, threw a connecting rod to the bottom of the hull. The boat sank out there in 65 feet of water. I don't think there's any loss of life on her here. I'm pulling this information here off of uh, michiganshipwrecks.org. That's for the uh, link I pasted there in the chat room. Um, looks like it was uh, October 15, 1901. The Berry Line Steamer State of Michigan sank at 3 o'clock in the morning, about four miles northwest of White Lake Harbor. That's Whitehall today. The crew escaped in the boats with the assistance of the U.S. Life Saving Service at the, at the crew at White Lake. She had left the Skigan the previous night bound for Manistee with a cargo of salt destined for Chicago. Went off White Lake to Piston. Rod of the engine broke, and according to the captain's report, broke a hole to the bottom of the boat to which water poured with such force and quantity that the engine hands were driven out of the room. The alarm was spread quickly. The men sent ashore for assistance. Accident occurred at 11 p.m. The life-saving crew and tug went to assistance and attempted to make total rapidly spilling boat into port, but the water came in so fast before she towed a mile, and she was abandoned, and her fate soon went down. Um, I say it's a really cool dive. You know, it is something you can do. You know, as a relatively new diver, you know, uh, Patty's initial cert is for 60 feet, and the bottom is at 65, and you can see plenty at 60. Uh, it's a very cool dive, good visibility, a lot of fish in the area. Um, I highly recommend it. I, for some reason, I was thinking that it was deeper than that. 65. That's a that's a nice depth. Yeah, and like I said, you have everything to see here that you would see on the iron sides. You know, it's uh, you know, with half the depth. I mean, the engine is just as impressive as the iron sides. Um, you know, what is remaining of the hull um, is very similar. The uh, I don't think you actually see propellers on this. I think the propellers might be buried. I can't recall exactly what the, the status of the, of the props on this boat here. But um, you know, as far as the chines being laid open and all similar to the Ironsides. It's it's a very similar dive in half the, in half the depth. Um, not real far from here, you do have the Interlaken, which is only in like 15, 20 feet of water, and so you can do a double dip and hit the Interlaken on the way back. Interlaken is a nice, easy, um, you can even snorkel the Interlaken. Um, so it's uh, basically uh, a wooden-hulled steamboat that also went down. I think the some of the boiler was taken off the inner lake, and some of it's still there. Um, lot to see down there, and great visibility in the lake. And I dove that and had about 50-foot viz uh, during the summer. So Nice. That's, that's one I may have to find an excuse to go up there and dive it. Nice, easy dive, relatively shallow with lots to see there. And ah. there are a lot of pictures here I'm seeing in the, on MSR's web, website about it, and that really mirrors what I saw. Was that about the quality of the viz you saw when you were there? Mm, 
I had better visit than that when I was there. Okay. I I remember when I was there, um, you know, with my fin tips on the bottom, looking up and clearly making out everything on the boiler. And that boiler comes, I don't know, 30 feet off the bottom, and I could see the top of it just as clear as the balls next to it. Now, chat room's asking, where can you put a boat to go out to it? Um, we launched in Whitehall, and as I recall, there are a couple of launches there in Whitehall, and the one that I used, um, I was using a ski boat, and um, just barely got underneath the bridge, and that was, uh, I believe, the uh, the DNR launch in town. There was one, though, a little further down the river, which I did not see in the map, or else I would use that one, which if you're using a larger boat, you know, just make sure you're not using the DNR launch above the river, above, above the bridge, unless you won't get down there. Um, but Very cool. Yeah, if you get a chance, check it out. You will, you know, you won't regret it. It's a very cool dive. Uh, Jim, do you have a uh, tip of the week? <laughs> yes, I do. Um, this one's kind of a mixed bag, pun intended. Um I really don't like plastic bags in the water because they we've all seen videos of trash in the water and plastic takes forever to deteriorate. But there are some uses for plastic bags that really help. So I'm going to talk a little bit tonight about putting on tight gear or helping you get into your gear. Uh, first thing is we've, we've said before, you know, baby shampoo is great to help you get your boots on, uh, to help you get your foot through the bottom of your wetsuit. But you can also use plastic bread bags. Shove your foot in the bear, in the bread bag, shove it down through the dry suit or wetsuit. It'll help to slide on through and it will slide right into that boot. Not the most comfortable if you're going to be in there a long time, but uh, it does add one more layer of thermal protection if you're going to be diving in cold water because it's if you put your foot in, you can get triple layer between the bag going up the leg of your wetsuit and then your boot going on top of that, especially if you can get the boot over the top of the wetsuit. Uh, makes it a little harder for water to get down into those feet and it uh, can keep your feet warmer. You also can use um, basic latex gloves or vinyl gloves if you're allergic to latex. If you're allergic to latex, you're probably not diving. But rubber gloves, uh, the simple medical gloves or mechanics gloves, work great to put on your hands uh, to get into your gloves in the wintertime. I mean, you want to have as tight a fitting gear as you can in the winter to eliminate or reduce that water migration. So an extra set of plastic gloves can make a world of difference um, getting those gloves on and off. And again, it adds one more layer of thermal protection and water protection to keep the cold water out of your hands. And the last trick is one that I have not used very often, but I've seen many divers use it, especially if they have longer hair or are diving with a beard. And that is to take a woman's stocking and either cut the foot end off of it or leave it on. And if you put a stocking over your head, kind of like a mask, then put your dry suit on 
you can slide that next seal right over your head. It'll slide on the stocking a lot easier and seal it around your neck. Then you can just, if you've cut the top of it off, go inside the suit and you can peel the stocking down so that it's against your neck, on your shoulders, under, below, I should say, the neck seal. you still got the neck seal tight against your skin, but you've got the stocking there for when it comes time to take the suit off. You reach down through the neck seal, grab the stocking, pull the stocking up over your head, and then pull the suit off around it. So those are just three simple packs that can keep you warmer, keep you drier, and help you get in and out of your gear faster in this cold weather. Sounds like maybe a repackaging opportunity for uh, women's nylons there. Hey, uh, you know, your wife or girlfriend gets a run in the stockings. They don't want to use them anymore. Grab it. Yeah, that, that one sounds interesting. Uh, I've, I've used the latex gloves before when I was wetsuit diving, and uh, I do think that helps. I mean, every, every little bit helps. Uh, I haven't used the plastic bags on the, the feet, at least as an adult. We used to use those all the time as a kid, uh, put bread bags on, and they'd go in your snowmobile boots. Uh, well, all very good tips. Well, if you'd like to follow the show, you can visit our website, www.scubobsessed.com. We're also on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash scubobsessed. Uh, you may also follow us on Twitter at scubaobsessed. Uh, I did have an issue with email not working as we're moving the servers that should be currently working. So the show at scubaobsessed will get you an email right to us. Uh, and the website should be quicker. We'd like to, we haven't changed anything uh, visual. Uh, it's mostly just been behind the scenes stuff. And once again, we want to thank uh, Vanessa Homiak and Scott Hulbert for being Dive Nitrox supporters. Thank you once again. And if you can at least donate a dollar, why not do so? Uh, head on over to our Patreon account, follow the links from scubaobsessed.com. Uh, Jim, you have anything you want to plug? No. Uh, well, yeah, I do. I want to give a shout-out to OpenROV. Um, I purchased my ROV kit from them, and I bought what they called the developer's kit. So I didn't get all the plastic parts for the body. I'm kind of building the body myself. But after I purchased that and the motors and some other things, they had a sale. And... You know, I could have saved about $90 if I had waited and bought the sale. So I sent them a note. They had no idea I was with the podcast, so they had no idea this was coming or anything. But just for general customer service, they said, you know, we will refund you the difference between what you paid for it and the sale price. And I thought that was excellent customer service, and I just want to give them a shout-out for that. Excellent. Open ROV project, we've talked about them for years and as you get a little bit farther along with this or maybe we need to do a segment you know the progress of the the rov and see how that comes along uh you know i've, I've reviewed uh the project a few different times technology wise i really like their approach design wise there's a few things I, I would do different but i think that's just the nature of of design and and iteration is that everybody's got their own little take on it and that's a nice thing about open rov they open source hardware and software for the whole project, and you can do it exactly the way they did or make your own little tweaks. And that's what sold me on it. Um, 
you know, I, well, you and I talked, you've got a lot more on the technology, a way lot more on the technology side than I do. I'm, uh, you've been working with robots and everything else. And I thought, well, if it's Darren supports it, I'm going to get with it. Um, the fact that they had the electronics and the controls pretty much ready to go out of the box. It's pretty much a plug and play. Um, it's got the option for customization, which I'm going to rely on Darren to help me with. But, you know, I've, I've got a design in mind for a specific task that's got to get in and out of a tight space. And so I'm trying to build a pretty compact robot that's a little more streamlined than their basic design. And when I get done with that, I plan to take the parts out and move on and build a bigger, better one. So it's a learning experience, but uh, I really like the flexibility that they offer and that, you know, it, it's pretty close to turnkey. I mean, yeah, you got to put your all your components together and do all that, but the electronics is pretty much a plug-and-play. Excellent. How about you, Kevin? you have anything you want to plug this week? Well, just my usual. I want to encourage our listeners to um, use your local dive shops. I know that we all like to get that good deal online. But those good deals online aren't going to uh, service your regulators or fill your scuba tanks for you. So uh, support your local dive shop. And, you know, mentioning that, now is a good time to get those regulators in for service. Yes. Yeah, if you're if you're not going to be diving this winter, uh, now's the time. Uh, get, beat the rush, and your dive shops will certainly love the business this time of year. That's a definite. Not, not you know, our... diving this winter. Blasphemy. It does sound like blasphemy. It does. Come on. Yeah. Dive you around. Yeah. I certainly have to stop in and get some parts I need new and flater hose before I, I try and do another dive. Uh, well, you've got till the weekend. Yeah. I'll be in tomorrow and Saturday, so come on down. Uh, I may have to. I have to see. It's This is this is crazy uh, time right now. I took week the week off, uh, and that means I can't get anything done because I'm just too busy. Let's see. Do we have anything else that I, I overlooked? I, we've we've thanked our supporters. We've begged for money. We've uh, plugged some products. Uh, oh, WRVO Radio. I can't forget them. Thank them once again for putting us on the air. If you like hunting, fishing, or the great outdoors, you'll want to tune in to WRVO Radio, the Arena Viola Outdoors Radio Network. Uh, I, I think that just about does it. And let me see. I think I had a joke all lined up. Uh, and I, I've probably told this one, uh, but uh, we'll give it a go. You guys ready? Yeah. Let's do it. Okay. Three instructors and their students are on board a dive boat in the middle of the ocean. There's an Owie instructor, a Paddy instructor, and an SSI instructor. Everything is going fine until the boat springs a leak and starts to sink. The SSI instructor says to the students, okay, we're in the middle of the ocean, so we might as well do our deep dive. The Owie instructor says to his students, okay, we might as well do our navigation dive, so let's get our compasses out and swim towards shore. The pad instructor says to his students, okay, for $25 extra, you guys get to do a wreck dive. <laughs> I like that. I know Jim can't like that, but I can like it. Yeah, so... So for the, oh, end of the I, I love it. I love it. I've said for years that Patty stands for pay another dive instructor. <laughs> so in the so at the end of the year, we've alienated three uh, dive schools. So. 
Uh, so our next one will be starting, I think this will be our seventh year. You know, we certainly appreciate it. Uh, enjoyed having you listen for 2016, and we'll see you in 2017. Until next time, go out there and get wet. Stay safe. Stay safe. And have fun. Yeah. Got it.